0: Hey, this is Kim. I'm one of the producers for Compiler. Before I bring in Brent and Angela, I wanted to talk to you about something a little personal. It's about failure, specifically my biggest failure. I've worked in digital media for a long time, so I decided to take a course in user experience, or UX. It was towards a certification, and one of the classes was Introduction to Python. Now, this class gave me quite a bit of trouble, and when I say that, I'm being pretty generous, because I didn't understand a single thing that was said to me. I couldn't get the simplest commands to work. I couldn't get anything to work. And ultimately, I failed the class. And I don't fail things. Not often. Fast forward to now, I've been at Red Hat for, well, more than two years now. It's full of smart people, people who do code every day, and I couldn't even get a Hello World command to work. And while I'm good at my job, I always come back to that Python class. How do I move forward from that shortcoming? How should I handle that type of failure?
1: This is Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat. We're your hosts. I'm Angela Andrews and I'm Brent Simino. We're here to break down questions from the tech industry, big, small, and sometimes strange.
2: Each episode, we get perspectives on where things are and where they're headed.
1: Today's question: How should we handle failure?
2: Producer Kim Wong is here to get things started.
0: Angela, Brent, I want to talk today about failure. We're going to hear from a few people who are going to help us gauge what failure really means for people personally and also what it means for teams when they work together. Before we get into that, though, I want to know, what do you think about failure?
1: Oh Well, failure happens to all of us. It's a part of life. And I've had my own personal failures. You know, when I think back to college, I failed calculus. And that means I had to change my major. Mm. That was a personal failure for myself. I really don't know where my career would have gone had I stuck with my computer science major. But I wonder.
2: I wonder if failure stings more when the thing you're failing at is part of your identity or part of the person that you imagine you want to be.
0: Yes. I think that that's very accurate. I read a lot of research going into uh, the story and, and what you said, Brent, reminded me of some studies that I read from uh, this doctor from Northwestern University. His name is Dashun Wang and he, he does research into like success and failure and mm-hmm he talks about success being like a collective phenomena and it's that means in order for you to be successful everyone has to agree not hmm. just you everyone else around you has to agree that y- you were successful and whatever you were doing
2: oh i
1: never thought of it that way i mean, I mean collectively what people think of you is what you are, like, to some degree, like, yeah, you know, yeah. if everyone thinks you're successful, you know, then you are successful. And if you know, everyone thinks you're a failure, they think you're, you are a failure. That's a weird dynamic to even consider putting that much weight. Look at me saying this out loud, like putting that much weight on what other people think of you as a way to define yourself. But that's interesting. What else do you have for us? I'm, I'm very curious. You have my full attention.
2: Yeah, let's dig into this, Kim. So who did you talk to first?
0: Well, I wanted to know how people look at failure. So I spoke with someone we know pretty well. She was a Red Hatter, and she did a lot of work, actually, in early seasons of Command Line Heroes, dealing specifically with failure. She told me the way that people deal with failure personally translates into how they process failure on teams and how we all treat each other in the process.
3: I'm Jen Krieger, and currently I'm working at GitHub as the Senior Director of the Technical Program Management Team, and I am just super excited to be here. She had a lot to
0: say about how failure was framed in her working life.
3: Failure was the focus. Failure was the the thing that you led from in every situation. In fact, if I even look earlier in my career, when I think about that word, every single framework, technique, all that stuff that I learned was mainly in place to prevent teams from failing. And so there was never really a conversation so much about why we were so focused on the negative part and less on the outcome of failure, which was to learn from our mistakes. And it seems like the industry still hasn't quite gotten there yet. We still focus on this concept of failure and safety and making it safe to fail. When I actually prefer to think about it a lot differently, which is making it safe to learn, which is a way different and more positive way of looking at that word.
2: Well, I have a lot of things going through my head right now. Okay. <laughs> making it safe to fail is something that I hear a lot. And
0: hmm.
2: I have actually never heard this phrase, making it safe to learn.
1: Yeah, I've never heard that phrase used before. It's always, you know, it's safe to fail or fail fast. And, you know, yeah. that's that's
0: oh, that's, fail the, fast, yes.
1: that's the phrase we always hear. But the safety, placing it on... The, the positive, that's a different twist on it.
0: Jen sees a lot of development teams go through really hard challenges, many of them very inherent in the constant cycles of production. For these teams, failure denotes chaos and fear.
3: I keep looking at this when I think about software development And I think about the fact that early in my career, folks were so incredibly afraid of like a production outage. Uh, That was the thing that you would get paged about that would basically destroy your weekend, your your life for a period of time.
0: So you have all these like forces, you have failure, you have fear, you have personal narratives, you have team failure, and they're all kind of like... To me, they're kind of like swirling around and like a, a, a like a, a a whirlpool of like negativity. Is, is it just me?
1: No, it's not just you. What you said had me thinking. I mean, it happens sometimes. Sometimes there's an outage and we hear about it talk about folks getting fired and, you know, heads will roll. And I think that's knee jerk because someone needs someone to blame, right? And when we think about what Jen said, we're making the team feel safe to learn. I'm sure in that postmortem, people looked at what happened and they said, you know, they figured out what the failure was and
0: they worked hard to remediate it to make sure that it never happens again. This is why she's focused on creating a safe environment for those teams to fail and learn at the same
3: time. When I say make it safe to learn, that's really what I mean. It's not just about we have deployed code to production and production is down, so therefore we are bad because we have failed. It's more, how can we actually deploy code to production in a way that will help us be more resilient to the failures we've experienced in the past? That's what I mean, making it safe to learn
0: because the world is a very, very different place than it was even a few years ago. Jen says safety, particularly psychological safety, will play an important role in failure as newer technology develops.
3: People cannot learn these new technologies fast enough. They cannot adapt to the things that they're seeing grow out of these new technologies. At the end of the day, like we actually, like we don't always know the answers to the questions we're being asked to solve right now. And so if we are constantly focused on this idea that failure is the thing that we need to make better for folks, we need to make it safe to fail. We need to make sure that people understand that they bring production down, they're not gonna get fired. That's that's probably a good idea to do. But at the same time, like companies that are just simply setting that bar there, like, that's not enough. They have to go even further than that. They have to make space for people to learn from those mistakes that they've made. And I just don't see the industry actually doing that.
2: Oh, that is really interesting. And that that's something that's... Uh, I don't know what the word is. Maybe it's bothered or intrigued me about this phrase, like, you know, failing fast or, mm. you know, making it safe to fail. Like, the focus on failure... Mm. It's not the failing that we're striving toward right exactly. it's the it's the learning that comes from the failing that we're striving toward. And I think that's what Jen is saying, right?
0: Yes. you too may recall that there is a very famous story about Thomas Edison. And Jen, I think at some point does mention in our discussion about Thomas Edison going through different iterations of the light bulb. And someone pointed out to him that he had failed a thousand times, but instead of saying that, he reframed it and said, no, I just found a thousand ways that didn't work and one that did.
1: Mm. That sounds very familiar. And when we hear that word failure, when we reframe it, when those things happen... You know, because bad things are always going to happen. Like she said, you need that psychological safety because that's where the growth happens. That's where the learning really happens in those moments. Because if nothing happens, where is the growth? What are you learning from exactly? Right?
0: Right.
2: I think the other thing is that, like, failure sometimes does have real world effects, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. it actually does you know, like outages and things like yes. that. So I'm trying to tease out the like scale of failure and the effect mm. of failure and how you create safety and learning at all those different scales.
0: That's interesting because ultimately companies want to provide their services and their products to customers in a timely manner because they're all competing with each other for attention, for market share. So I think this is why Jen is very skeptical as to whether or
3: not companies will make failure safer. Let's Mm. hear from her. There's oftentimes not the organizational muscle to do anything about what they are meant to learn. So it's not just learning, but also acting upon those learnings. I don't see organizations giving people uh, the emotional space to actually be able to digest what just happened. People are not given permission to feel disappointment.
0: For Jen, I think it's a really simple equation. A team can totally fail one day and then bounce back and have and, you know, put out an amazing product or, or do something really amazing.
3: Yeah, we have technical failures. But... The thing that I have seen from technical failures is the technical teams that I've worked with over over these years have always recovered. They've always found a way to fix the problem that they are having. But one thing that does not come back easily, trust. Mm. What has not always happened out of these events has been the relationship damage has been fixed. The teams have figured out how to work together moving forward. Maybe a finger pointing event that might have been visible to more than what would be an acceptable limit of people. No one ever apologizes for those things. And so a lot of that is embedded in your ego and the way that you perceive others. And also what I see mainly today is the reluctance to actually get on the phone with somebody and talk through something like we're so reliant on texting and text-based form of communication. Like people are really reluctant to have a hard conversation with each other. And that's got to change.
0: Sometimes in workrooms, there is no time for apologies. There's no time for hard conversations when you have deployments going out one after the other. But ultimately, how people process failure as individuals does matter to a team, especially in a fast-paced environment. If there is no time to be retrospective, how are people supposed to process what happened? In tech, we focus a lot on team dynamics and team outlooks and visions and vision statements and goals, but ultimately teams are made up of people and how people process failure as individuals does matter to a team, especially in a fast-paced environment when you got one thing going out after the other, so many different deployments, and there's no time to react or be retrospective.
2: This is part of the culture of the team. And I think it's part of like how the team interacts with each other. I've actually worked with Jen in the past and uh, I've actually done some of her exercises with my team itself, where she sort of holds space for everyone to digest what has happened. All the good stuff, all the bad stuff, the stuff that didn't go so well. And I love what you're saying there, Kim. Because I don't think we hold enough of that space for ourselves.
0: Okay. So we just talked a lot about perfection and failure. And I was curious about whether or not failure had anything to do with a lack of knowledge or skill or passion. But what I ended up learning from this next person that we have um, on the show was a little bit more insight into how important it is to fail.
4: Hello, my name is Erica Hamden. I am a professor of astrophysics at the University of Arizona, and I spend most of my time building telescopes, which I have decided is, like, the best job that somebody can possibly have.
2: This is a new one for us. I don't think we've an astrophysicist
1: on the show. No,
0: we have not. And, you know, like, I wanted to ask, like, if either of you had ever heard of Dr. Hamden. No, Uh, I I have not. not. Okay. A few years ago, Dr. Hamden gave this amazing TED Talk called What It Takes to Launch a Telescope. Huh. The video has been watched online millions of times. Hmm. If you speak with her, you'll learn that she's no stranger to failure.
4: One of the projects I work on is called Fireball. That's what I gave my TED Talk about. And it's a balloon telescope, which is kind of a weird, interesting thing. It's a telescope that goes on a high-altitude balloon, not on the ground or like in space. And it's, I've been working on it since 2008, so it's getting to be almost 15 years now.
0: <laughs> Get ready for this ride. So Fireball has turned out to be a project plague with many ups and downs mostly downs it has been marked with multiple failures technical snafus mechanical failures even there was even a bird that flew into the into <laughs> the balloon one time the balloon uh had a hole in it one time and it crashed. There were so many different failures. And in her TED talk, Dr. Hamden talks at length about these repeated failures. And she says success as a sure thing is one of the most crucial things to reject Mm -hmm. when you're working on a project. Mm
4: -hmm. You have to be prepared for that eventuality of like, you know, your experiment worked correctly, you did everything right, but you were wrong in your initial question. And Because that's always a real distinct possibility.
0: Earlier in the episode, we talk about failure and success being considered collective phenomena. That means if something is to be successful, then other people have to observe and agree. When you're talking about something as complex as the scientific process, that can come off as a little bit oversimplified. Dr. Hamden says the successes of science can sometimes hide the many, many, many setbacks that people face.
4: I mean, that process is like a necessary part of getting to the thing that does work. And so I feel like if you're only reporting on the very final check when it's all, all of the hard work has already been done, then you're, you're really missing a key part of the story, which is that this is just like a continuous process of messing up that's a little bit of like a public communications challenge because you don't want people to think that the mess ups mean that you're not reliable the mess ups are actually a good thing and reporting on them is is a good thing too that's like the transparency that in an ideal process like that's how science should operate, where you can see what worked and what didn't for everybody's projects.
1: We're always focused on that end, that, you know, that win at the end. Mm. This is funny, but it reminds me a lot of the Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant quotes. You know, in my gym, we have all these Kobe quotes (laughs) in there. (laughs) This is something that I see on a, a constant basis. So they attribute failure air quote, to their success, because without it, they wouldn't be Jordan. They wouldn't be Kobe. Again, You people don't look at that, but that's where all that good stuff happens. That's how you become great. That's how the science gets notoriety. Any, anything, anything good comes, there had to be some setbacks and failures in there to get you there. That's
0: what I'm hearing. Dr. Hamden juxtaposes failure with effort, which may be a good way to change the negative inner voice that pipes up when things don't go as planned.
4: You know, everybody deals with failures of, like, all sorts of kinds, and the idea that you should be ashamed of it or that you should um, keep it a secret I think is really discouraging because, like, in my view, trying and failing... The important part of that is that you tried something and that should be celebrated like you tried it like that's scary and good. And instead, people feel more shame about the failure part. And I think that just like shuts off a conversation that's really important to have.
0: With a very unhealthy approach to failure, a person could take that and turn it into a personal narrative. But what she has done, she's framing failure in a more collaborative way. She's talking about having you know a positive mindset she's not thinking about success as a binary
2: it's interesting because we tell stories about ourselves and teams tell stories about themselves yeah but sometimes those narratives and those stories can take hold in your mind right which is i I think what you're talking about like how like framing what just happened like how are you talking about that and is that being lodged in your mind? (laughs) Is that being lodged in the company's mind? Is that being lodged in your boss's mind? Like, what is that story?
0: Exactly. So Dr. Hamden has thoughts on Teams too, and how someone could frame failure in a much healthier, more collaborative way.
4: I think it's partly just in a mindset and how you kind of talk about it with the people around you. I think that especially in dealing with teams and like working on these big projects, it's really important that blame not necessarily be part of the kind of analysis of like what went wrong, that blaming people for things doesn't make them do better. It just makes them feel bad about it.
3: Ooh.
0: Yes. (laughs) Wow. Are you trying to help people learn or are you trying to make them feel bad? Yes. I've been in postmortems
1: where, You kind of feel that finger going around the room and you just don't want it to land on you. That is a hot, that is so much stress.
2: I'm imagining everyone around that table just sort of like slumping down in their seats trying to avoid eye contact.
0: Yeah, that is so true. And when you're in that kind of hot seat, you you start, you know building that personal narrative again. Am I going to suffer any negative consequences from this? Am I going to be trusted with, you know, if I'm a lead, if, am I going to be trusted with leading another project? Am I going to yeah. be trusted with my job? Am I going to lose my job? Like it, it, it just, it kind of, it's like an avalanche kind of. Hmm. So there's a binary, right? We've established success and failure. That's typically what this looks like. Yeah. Dr. Hamden has a different way of thinking about that binary.
4: I think that the opposite of failure is inaction. So I view failure as a positive thing, that, like, you tried something. And in my experience, most of the time when you try something, it, like, doesn't work the first time. And that's fine. So to me, I associate failure very strongly with just, like, trying or the act of, like, giving something a shot. And so the opposite of that, to me, is not doing anything, is to, like not take the leap.
0: So I asked Dr. Hamden about how our jobs in STEM, outside of STEM, how our societies define success and how reality is much different.
4: I think it's usually defined as like anything other than complete perfection in whatever the goal is. It's like this all encompassing thing that like, There's one way to get success and there's a million ways to fail and all of the million ways are bad. And I think that that is problematic and that the million ways to fail, there's probably a few of them that are bad. Like you failed because you didn't try. You failed because you like deliberately sabotaged this thing. Like those are not (laughs) ideal. But there's a lot of things that, like, you failed because you were working with incomplete information. You failed because you are trying something new for the first time that you don't really understand, and now you understand it a little better. You failed because you were the first person in the entire history of the world who is doing something. Like, all of those failures are really helpful. They're super valuable. I, like, actually think that a string of failures is necessary for success.
1: So this, this sounds a lot like the Thomas Edison analogy uh, story that you told us earlier, where that's where the discovery happened. He he found, you know, a thousand ways to do it the wrong way, to get to the right way. That's a, an amazing way of thinking about failure. It really turns it on its head and it takes that sting away from it. Listening to this episode... It was, it was actually a little emotional where I'm trying to internalize the amazing things that people are saying here. Yeah. Um, because sometimes, you know, it, people can be very hard on themselves. So, you know, can failure lead to discovery? One would hope. Because as long as you don't give up and you keep trying and you do better and you iterate, the process gets better. You get better. You learn more. So, when you say it like that that's that's where the good stuff happens. Mm.
2: I think we're hard on ourselves,, Ooh. and I think we're hard on other people sometimes
0: too, absolutely
2: and i I think that like one of the big things that I'm taking away from this is like the the spaces that we create for ourselves, but also for our teams and also for people that we work with every single day. How do we create, you know, that space where learning can occur?
0: The way that we process failure needs space, first and foremost. I think that's what Jen was getting at. You need that space to process what happened. I think that has an impact on how teams work together because teams are just people gathered together for a shared purpose or vision, that can also affect how individuals themselves learn from failure. If they feel like they're not good enough, if they don't have time and space to process failure, that all could come together in a way where they look at their work in a negative light. And while looking back is good, you can't keep looking back. We all have to move forward from our missteps. We have to not make our professional failures into stories about who we are as people. In our working lives, we could use failure to discover things that we didn't know before, learn new things, go new places with our talent, push ourselves beyond what we thought was possible. We can also lift ourselves up and the other people around us as well, whenever we run into a difficult situation. I think that's the most beautiful part about what I learned. Failing that Python class doesn't say anything about me personally, and it doesn't help me at all to create that story about myself. It just means I was doing something new. And when you're trying something new and you fail, you can always try again.
1: And that does it for this episode of Compiler.
2: Today's episode was produced by Kim Wong and Caroline Craighead. Victoria Lawton always sticks with us no matter how many times we mess up.
1: Our audio engineer is Elizabeth Hart. Special thanks to Sean Cole. Our theme song was composed by Mary Anchetta.
2: Big thank you to Dr. Erica Hamden and Jen Krieger for sharing their perspectives with
1: us. Our audio team includes Lee Day, Laura Barnes, Claire Allison, Nick Burns, Aaron Williamson, Karen King, Boo Boo House, Rachel Urtel, Mike Compton, Ocean Matthews, and Laura Walters.
2: If you like the show, we would love for you to come back next time. So subscribe, leave us a review. It really does help us out.
1: We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening.
2: All right. See you next time.
0: Hi, I'm Jeff Ligon. I'm the director of engineering for Edge and Automotive at Red Hat. Even 10 years ago, the chaos of running hundreds and thousands of containers in a cluster, it didn't feel like you could go from that to running just dozens in a car. But these days, it's coming. In fact, containers are a big part of the future vision of software-defined vehicles. And look, if we can get the container revolution to work in cars, then everything a cloud-native developer can do today can apply to cars. This huge ecosystem of engineers can start to write applications for automotive. We can completely change the industry. This is why Red Hat's open source approach to edge computing is so important. The way we collaborate, the way we build together, it's already making some pretty incredible things possible. Learn more about them at redhat.com edge.